welcome to the Crash the Pond podcast. It's a Monday, November 21st edition of the show. And, <clears throat> excuse me, and for the first time in quite a while, we are doing a post-game show. This is uh, getting back to our roots, Jake, where we used to do this every night. We used to do this for every game. Yeah, it was... And uh, I legitimately cannot imagine it now. I, and the fact that we used to do it, this was a 5 o'clock game, and it's 8 p.m. right now, and I'm feeling tired. How did we go for year? I think it was, what, two seasons, three seasons of doing 10 p.m. podcasts Yeah, after games... Yeah, we paid our I dues. guess we I guess we just got into got into the team, but yeah, I mean, that's really where our friendship and our uh, chemistry formed. We got into the trenches. We got we got we, our reps. We we put the work in, got yeah. the reps in, and I now mean, uh, now I, I we can just do uh, once a week. Being a little younger and having less responsibilities, you know, less going on. I think that that, that didn't hurt. Didn't yeah, hurt our case. Probably. We had time. We had time to yeah. work with. Yeah. Um, but now, you know, less volume, but we, we make up for it in quality. Yep. We, 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 this is the most sustainable version of the show we have. So speaking of something that, uh, is not looking too hot right now, so they're not looking too sustainable. This current duck season is, is not looking awesome. The ducks 19 games into the season now lose tonight, three to one against St. Louis in a game where it looked for a brief moment as if, hey, maybe they're turning things around a little bit at five on five and, and solidifying their game. Once again, find a way to lose and don't have a regulation win through 19 games. It's uh, We're getting to that point, Jake. What did we say at the beginning of the season? About 20 to 25 games? Like, yeah. We're, it, it's about to be time where we have to start making some, some judgment calls, some evaluations, and yep. this is looking pretty bad. Yeah, it's certainly not looking good. I think that that's an easy way to put it. I mean, I think basically kind of a lot of what we talked about at the 10-game the mark about way things could go right. You look at the the teams the Ducks are playing. You look at um, how things have gone, how things could go, and kind of how we, you and I both thought that after 10 games, nothing had really changed from our preseason prediction. I think that we both are kind of at the point where it's time to admit we were wrong about that, that this team just is not where we thought they would be at at this point in time. No, and and, and, and yeah. I, I had kind of laid out the, the case for it, right, about way back where at the 10-game mark that you look at the teams that they're playing, you look at um, they're playing these weaker opponents, and they should be able to to play better. And they went on that road trip uh, to San Jose and Vancouver and did not really get the better of any game, even if they did get the wins in San Jose. Um, this road trip playing a Jets team that isn't also that great at five, like they're better, they're fine at five and five, but the Blues also iffy, and they just haven't been able to do well. Really, the only two games this entire season that they've played good games, like legitimately really, really good games, were against two bad teams, and, and I yeah. think that that is the concern of at the beginning of the season. This was a team that we were we were looking at being like, okay, they're playing really good teams probably didn't expect them to outplay him, but if they're actually like a middle of the pack team, they should be outplaying these lower tier teams. And the issue is the only teams that they have actually been close to were the teams near the bottom of the barrel. Yeah. Like they dominated Chicago. Yeah. Lost that game, but, but dominated. Yeah. Um, it's puzzling right now because if you look at the way they're playing, there's little pockets of good. Yeah. Right. Like tonight in the first period, I think period, that's a really good way to put it. 
they they get scored on in the first 11 seconds, which, you know, a little fluky, but nevertheless, it, mm-hmm. I, I kind of look at these two games. So they played against St. Louis on Saturday and again tonight, which how often does that happen? Two games in the same arena. Yeah, es- especially with the road trip earlier that felt odd where they played San Jose, Vancouver, and then back at San Jose. Yeah, like, it, it, uh, yeah. It, it's just odd how that ended up working out. But so I look at these two games as kind of like a continuation of each other, right? Because it's the same team, but we'll focus in on tonight. They start off, you know, pretty well. I mean, they, of course, they let up the goal, but then they really controlled play at five on five in the first period. I mean, shot attempts were 23-12 in favor of the Ducks. They managed to tie it late in the period. Cam Fowler, a point shot that gets through. And you're thinking at that point, okay, well, a rough start in the first few seconds, but really from that point onward, it was it was really the Ducks who carried the play. And then as the game crept on, and especially in that second period, you saw the St. Louis Blues really start to flip the script and start to take over at 5-on-5, five five, and that shot attempt count was basically flipped in the second period. And really at that point, it was kind of like, okay, they had, their, they had a, a strong road start, the home team really found a way to get back into things in the second period, just in terms of the run of play. Now let's see what happens in the third period. Let, let's let this third period kind of be the, what, what will tell the story of this game. And I don't think that the ducks were necessarily bad per se in the third period, but they just came up short in ways that we've seen over and over again, right? They, they, they take a penalty. Uh, Dimitri Kulikov takes a penalty and that puts the Ducks down shorthanded. They're unable to, to kill it off. Justin Falk gets on the board to to give St. Louis the lead. And frankly, the Ducks looked like they were bound to give one up on that penalty kill. Jakob Silverberg out of position, scrambling, failing to clear. And eventually it comes back to bite them. And after that, it was just the Ducks trying to get back in. But it was too little too late. The, the Blues get an empty netter. So... Even though there was that brief kind of 20-minute, hey, maybe there's some progress here moment for this team, it feels like a very familiar story to the one we've been reading all season, to the one we've been seeing all season. Yeah, yep, uh, definitely. One thing that was pointed out in our Twitch chat, uh, sorry, I was kind of doing some back-end stuff with the podcast right now as you were doing that. Um, but uh, one thing that was said in the Twitch chat was that Kind of your point about about them starting off the game well and having a really good patch. And the thing is, a lot of NHL teams are like that. And I think that that is kind of the one thing is that a lot of teams are like that. And the best teams in the league are able to maintain that consistently um, throughout the throughout the entirety of games and throughout the entirety of weeks. And I think a lot of it just comes down to, I mean, this is going to be harping on the same exact point that we've kind of talked about a bunch, but coaching. Where instead of realizing what's worked, you change things up and switch things up. And so, for instance, or not capitalizing also on the things that are going well. And so, I think one of the things that really stuck out in that first period, obviously, I think Dallas Higgins deserves credit for sticking with uh, with Zegris, Terry, and Henrique at this point. That line's been excellent. That line was one of the best lines for the team tonight. They were consistently generating chances. They were really a big driver of those chances in the first period. Um, But the other line that I think really kind of caught my eye, and I'm trying to just look at the numbers very quickly for that line, but the McTavish, uh, what was it? McTavish, Leeson, 
and uh, uh, Jones line, that line also really kind of stuck out to me. And a lot of that was due to Mason McTavish. You watch that line, and, and sure, Leeson and, and Jones, I think, are doing their part. Um, but that entire line is being driven by Mason McTavish. And I, yeah. I don't think that they would necessarily even take offense to that. Mason McTavish is starting to come in his own. He's looking like a really strong player on the scene. He's honestly looking like the second best uh, center on the scene. And so part of me is just wondering, what are you trying to accomplish there with that line? Well, and, think, and how yeah. and how are you able and and when we're talking about these patches of positive play, how are you able to maintain that if you're not surrounding with other players that can take advantage of that? Where um, you're able to keep that going? And I think the other issue is just. McTavish probably isn't playing as much as he should. I mean, Mason McTavish played thirteen or fifteen minutes and forty six seconds tonight. Um, I think that's the lowest of any forward uh, for the Ducks in all situations. And you look at that second period, for instance. And granted, I think he took a penalty early on, but he did not play much in that second period. And I wonder how much of the Ducks' downturn and not playing well kind of goes to that thought process of this guy's not getting a lot of ice time when. He's been one of the best play drivers on this team, and instead you're giving Isaac Lundestrom more ice time. You're giving uh, Ryan Strom more ice time, who just aren't driving play how it needs to be done. And Mason McTavish has given one period with Ryan Strom and Frank Vetrano, and then because of goals against, was taken off. And so it's just kind of going back to my... Sorry, I know you were trying to jump in, but want to just kind of finish this off. Going back to my very original point of... How do you mean how do you get these patches from being patches to a long-term period? And it's rewarding the players that are playing well while also maintaining some chemistry. And so putting Mason McTavish, who's playing well, with Max Jones and Brett Leeson is just not gonna cut it long term. That's not gonna long-term generate enough offense because Mason McTavish needs other players that can push the play in the way they are, in the way he does. And that's just not what Jones and Leeson do. They're fourth liners at this point in time. That's what they are. That's that's not meant to be a shot at them. That's not to be anything. That's just kind of what they are. Mason McTavish is the second best center on this team. Yeah. I think that what you're getting at is something that ties into this kind of stint in St. Louis, which we will rewind now to game one in St. Louis on, on Saturday. And going into that game, something that we've been both clamoring for on this podcast, you can pull up the receipts. We've said it. Um, we've tweeted it. It's, it's out there. Mason McTavish should be the second-line center. At least give him a shot. Put him between Strom and Vetrano. Move Strom to the wing or put Strom at third-line center, whatever you've got to do. And lo and behold, going into that game, uh, Dallas Akins did that. He put Mason McTavish at center between Strom and Vetrano. He was taking the face-offs. And that experiment, Jake, lasted less than five minutes at 5-on-5. Five five. After the first period where the Ducks were down, I believe, 4 nothing or 4-1, forget which one it was, but they were down big after the first period. He blew that line up immediately. And that was the only line in the in that first period that showed any sign of life, that was generating any kind of sustained zone time in the offensive zone and generating any kind of action towards the net. So he gave, he gave up on that within a period. And what was the response? He put Jakob Silverberg on that line. And tonight he went back to the well. And, you know, the Ducks played well at five on five, you know, going into the second or throughout the second and third period in the first game. But that was largely because, you know, St. Louis was already up big. They kind of let their foot off the gas. And so Dallas Aikens saw that and thought, okay, well, I'm just going to go back to that well because that worked for us or seemed to be working in the first game. And tonight, 
really that Strom, Vetrano, Silverberg line didn't give the Ducks anything. And it's not really a shocker when you watch Jakob Silverberg play. He's just not, he's not a playmaker. He's not a top six-esque forward. I mean, at this point, I'm starting to wonder how much of that Ryan Strom and Frank Vetrano are. But the point is, Akins has this this option with McTavish that's staring him in the face that he just continues to ignore. And it's it's becoming like negligent on Aiken's part. Like, th- like this is an available solution or at least an option, and he's just not trying it. And yeah, tonight, uh, you know, the the Strom line was negative and in shot metrics, they got scored against. I, I just don't really understand this thought process of putting Jakob Silverberg in your top six. Like it's no it's no effing wonder that you're not producing offense outside of that top line when you're putting a guy whose best years are behind him and who's never really been known for offense on your second line. Like, it's just so crazy to think about. Yeah, yeah, it, it definitely is. And yeah, looking at the numbers tonight, I mean, uh, just looking at expected goals, four percentage, the the lowest players on the team, Isaac Lundstrom at 7.5%, Strom at 10%, Carrick at 12%, Vetrano at 13%, uh, Silverberg at 18%. And so all of these guys, just they're very under, they're vastly underperforming. And the crazy thing is, like, basically, there were, let me see, Strand, Benoit, Silverberg, Kulikov, Vetrano, Carrick, Strom, Lundestrom were all underneath 30% expected goals for percentage. The rest of the team, so that's uh, over half of the team are above 50% on the night. Right. And it's just they were so bad that they really outweighed a lot of the positives that this team had. I mean, you look at Trevor Zegers and Troy Terry and Adam Henrique. They were, I mean, Terry was at 72%, Zegers at 80%. Henrique at 86%. Like, these guys were on the ice for over an expected goals four and under 0.2. I mean, Terry was a 0.49, but Zegers and Henrique 0.2-ish. And McTavish, same thing, over one expected goals four. Like, why are you not capitalizing on this and playing these guys more? And just as an FYI, at five on five, Mason McTavish, uh, let's see, he played 12 minutes at five on five. Uh, as compared to, I'm trying to see exactly where... Uh, Strom would have. Strom was also 12 minutes. So I guess if you want to do it there, Strom and him were both at 12 minutes, five on five. Trevor Zegers at 18 minutes. So it was a big drop off. But I, I just think that it, things need to get shifted up. Things need to get changed in the way that that thought process is and, going. And let's not forget too that tonight, <clears throat> Dallas Higgins chose to go into this game with 11 forwards and 7D yep. because Kevin Chattenkirk coming off of injured reserve. He wanted to get him back in the lineup, and he didn't want to break up that that strand white pairing, which which has been playing very well. I mean, going into tonight's Wait, game, can, has can been. I, can I push back on on that real quick? Not saying that you're wrong. Not saying okay. that you're wrong that that was. I, the, I would the love reason. to hear how sixty percent XGF is is not good or whatever. No, 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 no. You're, no, no. I'm not pushing back on that pairing. Oh, uh, okay, okay, okay. What I'm gonna push back on is when you have seven D. That doesn't mean that you can keep pairings together. Well, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying like. Yeah. I got. I'm, I'm, ju- I'm, I'm just a, saying. I'm, I'm trying to tell you what I think the logic for Aikens is. Got it. And I think we can all agree that the logic there is is uh, debatable at best. Mm-hmm. So anyway, puts back in Shattenkirk to presumably keep that pairing together, or to just work Shattenkirk back in, and takes a forward out, takes out Pavel Regenda, who's been playing very well. And, you know, who who's not been at all the worst player on this team. So to scratch. So to go down forward and to take him out to get Kevin Shattenkirk back in kind of tells you where this coaching staff sees Pavel Regenda right now in the pecking order. I mean, 
has he been that much worse than like a, a Max Jones? Has he been that much worse than a Jakob Silverberg? Hell, has he been worse than Frank Vetrano or, or Ryan Strom? I mean, the point is Pavel Regenda has been playing well, and I just don't really understand why not only you scratch him, but also to add a defenseman, like not even to, to you know, bring in someone else, like maybe a call-up or something like that up front. No, you're doing it to do this 11 forward 7D thing. And I, I guess this just brings me to my larger point, which is that, yes, the Ducks are struggling. Yes, they haven't won a, a game in regulation. Yes, a lot of the acquisitions, pretty much all of the acquisitions that Pat Verbeek made over the summer have not lived up to expectations. And yet, I will still argue that I, I think that we don't really know how good or bad this team is until we've seen them with a coach who isn't Dallas Higgins. Because 19 games in, I'm just going to, I'm going to skip, I'm going to cut to the chase. I'm going to break my own rule. Yeah, I'm a game off from the 20 game mark. But I really think that Dallas Higgins and the decisions he've, he's made this season are just completely hamstringing this team. Like, there's just no getting around it. I mean, I mean, just simply talking about the the seven D, right? And you brought up Strand and Colton White. Colton White sat on the bench yeah. for the majority of the start like, of the season and only got into games once both Shattenkirk and Boyu got hurt. And once he's gotten into these consistent games, and when he's not playing as the seventh defenseman, playing five minutes a night. What do you know? Colton White is a significant upgrade on Nathan Beaulieu. Like, it's not like there shouldn't even be a conversation between the two of them in which one you play. It's an automatic where Colton White has been legitimately really good. And we talked about this, I think it was on our Patreon episode of the weekend, but Colton White has been really, 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 really impressive to me. Yeah, and he's, he, just, he's just playing a solid brand of hockey. Like, there's, well, nothing, there's no flash in his game. But it's not just that. I just think he's making the right plays. He's Whether he's at the offensive blue line looking to make plays um, uh, instead of just firing it at the net, whether he's making quick breakouts, whether he's... I mean, there was... I think it was the... I forget which game it was. Maybe it was the Jets game. But he just has really solid gap control and really is doing a great job at denying zone entries against with that good gap control. And these are the things that you want in a modern-day NHL defenseman. And what do you know? Nathan Beaulieu is not good at those things. That's why he's constantly hemmed in his own because he's not great at defending his own line. All he does is that basically if a guy enters the zone, they're going to try to chip it past him and probably make a pass, but he's going to hit them and have some physicality. And that's how he stayed in the game, and good on him for doing that. But this is not something that the Ducks should be employing on their team. And just the, like, I know there's going to be a lot of people out there that say, oh, well, another puck moving defenseman on this team, all these different things. And, and the Ducks need that physicality from Bolu or whatever the argument would be for keeping him in. But it's, it's clear that Colton White makes this team better. And yeah, whether and, it's and by so being a puck moving, and whether it's being by being a puck moving defenseman, whether it's by using physicality to get pucks away. If you make this team better, you should be in the lineup. Like that, that to me is the end of the day of all of it. And so, and and if you want physicality, look at Simon Benwell. He's been throwing hip checks everywhere. You have that already with him. Like, I don't know yeah, why. It, it's I just mean, Simon Benoit tonight, that penalty he took. I don't know if you saw it uh, I where don't think so. his, his stick broke at the, at the offensive blue line. And then he gets back to, to try to chase down the, the blues player. I think it was Jordan Cairo who's coming down the other way and it's like a developing two on one, but it's not really a breakaway or anything like that. You know, like Klingberg is closing in on him and Benoit just grabs his Jersey, like just full on gets a handful of his Jersey and just pulls on him. And <laughs> I understand that he's trying to get back and he, and he wants to save the day, but 
it's just like a needless penalty, you know, anyway. So yeah, it turns out having competent puck moving defensemen helps your team. And the fact that not only that this team signed Nathan Bollier, which was a terrible choice, but then to actually play him and play him over a guy like Colton White, it just shows that the eye test of these coaches is is like looking kind of bad, looking kind of yeah. broken at times. Yeah. Like like I don't understand how you can watch these guys play and and say, oh yeah, Nathan Bolia is the better defenseman. And honestly, like the Ducks have an analytics department now, or at least some kind of staff. I don't know how much sway they have as of yet, how how built out they are, but. It's clear to anyone looking at the numbers that Bollier has just been a terrible NHL defenseman the last few years. So, again, it just goes to show that this this coaching staff is just so bad at evaluating the talent on the roster, so bad at putting the better players in position to succeed. But they are really good, though. I'll give them this credit. They're really good at putting the worst players in elevated roles that they don't belong in. That they've do- that they've done a bang up job. That's probably their biggest strength this season. And we're going just back going full years. scorched earth tonight, basically. Well, I mean, they haven't won a freaking game. I know, in the I know. It's just funny because minutes. We, we did not plan on this, and it's just both you and I vibing off each other. No, I mean, I just think that now it's like, okay, enough is enough, right? Like, I've I've wanted to give this a chance, and I'm not saying that it's entirely the coaching staff. Like, there are guys who just are fundamentally not playing well enough. But I do think that this is as much a composition issue. And and it's just the pieces are not being So put that together. goes to this question that I just saw. And I know we're on questions part. But the, when I see something that really chimes in with the topic we're talking about, it's good to bring it up. Matt from our YouTube chat says, when none of the higher paid signings look good, when does some of the f- blame fall on Verbeek? This isn't something we've really talked about too much because we've kind of focused on the coaching staff. But how do you respond to that? Kind of what's your thoughts on that? I don't really think that... Like, I don't think that those contracts were bad signings. I think that the problem is just more so where these guys are being asked to play in the lineup. Like Frank Vetrano, I think people had these expectations. It didn't help that he scored like in his first game or something like that. Or if And Ryan Strom had that big first game also. But like these guys, like especially Frank Vetrano, like his career high in points, I think is what? It's 30... 38 points, right? And I know points is, or sorry, 39 points. And I know points are not the end all be all, but like he's about a 30 point score, like the, in about an 18 goal score, right? Like, like these just, this isn't like an elite level talent, right? This is about a middle of the lineup, middle of the forward lineup yeah. kind of player. And, and he's not a guy who's going to come in and drive play. You got to put him next to players who can, who can facilitate. And he hasn't really been with that. I mean, same thing with Ryan Strom. Like Ryan Strom is a fine player in his own right. I think that the deal he got from the Ducks is is a reasonable one. Five years is a little rich for me, but like I think all in all, five million where the cap is and where it's presumably to go, where it's going to go over the next few years, like it's not the end of the world. So I'm not going to do the revisionist history thing and say that oh these were awful deals. Like the deals were fine at the time. The issue is just a bit of where these guys are playing the lineup, who they're playing with. Mm-hmm. I don't think the plan was necessarily to have these guys just be like your de facto second line. That's just how things have worked. Yeah. have shaken out. I don't know if Vetrano was signed to be that. I, I mean, I know we, we long thought he was made to be the, the third guy on the, the Zegris Terry line, which I still, I still think he would actually be a decent complimentary player for those guys. Um, it, but he wouldn't be there necessarily to put up a bunch of points or, or anything along those lines. I think he would start scoring more just simply because 
uh, of playing with those guys. But at the end of the day, Frank Vitrano, he's getting paid like he's a third line third third yeah. line winger. Like, like it's that's not what like he's he paid. got signed to an you know seven year seven million a year deal. Like he's he's on a three year three point seven five million deal. Like that's just a basic run of the mill middle six contract. Like I, yeah. I just and pointing the finger at a guy like that, even though sure like he's getting the opportunity and he's not doing the most with it, but he's on pace for 18 goals right now, just about like he's playing at exactly the level he's been playing the last couple of years. It's just there. These aren't like true needle movers. They're guys who I think raise your floor. And that's why we were higher on these ducks, but it's still up to the coaches to kind of maximize guys like that. And I think that maybe that's where we fell short in our analysis was not realizing, I think realizing as much. I think we underestimated the impact of coaching. No, what I'm saying is I think that we underestimated, underrated that those kind of players do need surrounding talent to really That's uh, fair. Ma- maximize them. Because yeah. I don't think you just plop Ryan Strom onto a team and all of a sudden like they're automatically that much better. Like He's a good player. He's going to help you, but you maybe need a little more around him. So, yeah. I, And I don't think Jakob Solberg is the guy to do that. I mean... You know, tonight it was like being celebrated that Jakob Silverberg got a shot off from like a bad angle. And it's just like, that's how low the bar is for offense right now. Just- yeah. And, and so it's just, and, and I think also the other big signing would be John Klingberg. That's yeah. still, that, was, that, that was also he, a deal, a one-year deal at seven mil to hit the cap floor. Yeah. And, and that's yeah. the key aspect here is that that was a one-year deal hit, meant to hit the cap floor. Then they could end up trading him if they wanted to. Um, or if they don't, whatever, they had to spend that money anyway. So even, even if this goes to hell, right. And they're not able to even trade him for anything or trade him for a second round pick. Like the, the value that he had drops so much that they're not able to get anything for him. It's still a nothing deal. Cause they had to spend that money anyways. Yeah. So on the Klingberg thing, cause that's another one where it's like, yeah, okay. He's getting paid a fair bit of money. Um, but that doesn't make it like a bad signing. It was a good risk at the time. It was a good it was a good uh, flyer to take on a guy who couldn't get the contract he wanted and put him on a prove it year a prove it one year deal. Where yeah, maybe you can flip him at the deadline if, if things don't work work out. Like he's still gonna have that name brand value. So again, no revisionist history here. Like this is just what we said at the time. Yeah. Now he's like maybe uh, maybe we were a bit too rosy on their impacts on the roster, I, I, but I, I think still think that, the signings were good. Yeah, I think that yeah, I, I think that's exactly it. We were a little too optimistic on how these guys would actually perform on the ice, but our analysis of the contracts was still perfectly fine. Like the, these are still good deals. And yeah, with Klingberg though, I think that's the most disappointing one because that was the one that I really thought could elevate this team. And like, he just hasn't really played all that well. Like, I mean, he's he's played with Cam Fowler. He's played with Kulikov. Like he's played with guys who are adequate partners. He's getting, you know, first power play, first unit power play duties. He, you know, not all I, the time, but but like he's getting his opportunity. I, I think don't he's think well surrounded. The, I don't think that the overall defensive structure really works for him and helps him. I think well, the, it's one yeah. I think it's one that really it doesn't leave much cover if he has a turnover. And I think that well, that's, that's the, the thing. biggest thing is that there's not really a whole lot of cover defensively for him and that's what you have to have when you have a guy like that cuz he does a, he's tur- a risky player and yeah. and he's not good defensively. Like this is known. Yeah. And Dallas Akins is not the coach to to bring about a defensive structure to insulate a guy like that. Yeah. 
Like, and, like and, that's a guy who you put on like a Barry Trotz team and he'll be okay. But with Dallas Aikens, like he's again, like it's not to take all the blame away from Klingberg, but it is to say that it's providing he's not a in an reasoning, environment right? that's Huh? It's providing a reasoning. It's just, yeah, like it's not going to, this isn't an environment necessarily that's built to cover up his weaknesses. Yeah. And, and so, I mean, you kind of, a prime example, right, is we can look at Josh Maher, right? Like, was no, but like genuinely. You mean like, everyone who's left the Ducks? Or everyone who's left the Ducks. Anyone who leaves the Ducks, and I think this is just indicative of the systems that are there. You look at how Hampus Lindholm's doing. You look at how Josh Maher is doing. These guys all improve and improve significantly when they leave the Ducks. And I don't think it necessarily has to do with the players they're playing with. I think it more so has to do with the coaching staff and the system that's been put in place and that they're basically not being played to their strengths when they're on the team. And so that and this is with the isolated numbers that granted they're not perfect they're not going to do a perfect job of isolating the the players from their their own line mates and, and opponents but they give you a decent idea when there's enough of an extreme it really makes you wonder okay what's happening here what's going on here why why is there such a stark difference for all of these players and it really starts to make you wonder okay this is something that's really uh pulling this team back yeah, and I think it's unfortunate because, you know, we all wanted to see Dallas Aiken succeed as the Ducks head coach, uh, you know, but I, I think, it, are we at the point where it's like, you know, because I think part of the case for him going into the season was, well, he hasn't had a fair shake. He was potentially being influenced by Bob Murray and not fully in charge and didn't have the rosters to work with. Like, is this roster still so bad that you cannot make any kind of value judgment on Dallas Aikens as a coach? I, I feel like this is the best hand he's been dealt, and he's, like, this is the worst he's done relative to the hand he's been dealt. I yes, th- this is probably the best team that he's had. Yeah, like, I think that the, the best he's done has was, like, the first couple months of last season, right? Yeah. Like, that was the best he's ever had them playing. And that lasted just a couple of months, really. You know, the season got derailed by, you know, COVID. And then, you know, after that, they just never got back on track. And I don't know. Like, it it sucks because he is a guy that you want to root for. He's a guy who clearly, you know, has great values. And it would have been cool to see a guy succeed coming up from the AHL. But it's just not playing out that way. And I just, I think as Pat Verbeek now in that GM chair... I just wonder, like, how long can you let this go on? Like, the team isn't winning, and it's not just that they're not winning. They're they're, they're playing, objectively, one of the worst five-on-five games in the league. Like, they're getting destroyed at five-on-five throughout the course of the season. Like, there's been games where they're not as bad, but special teams continue to be a weakness. Like, tonight, when it was time to come up big, they couldn't. Um, and then the decisions. Like, I, I just wonder, if you're Pat Verbeek, how long can you watch this go before maybe something has to change. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, so let's get a quick word from our sponsor. So we're all excited for the hockey season and for the season to continue going to games, uh, live in person is the best way to do it. Um, definitely something that you, everyone should at least do once a season. And so I think it's a great, or yeah, there's, there's definitely no better way than to go to the games live and in person. And that's where 714 Tickets comes in. 714 Tickets is a locally owned ticket company in Anaheim that never charges you taxes or service fees, unlike StubHub or Ticketmaster. Um, it's honestly amazing. The no service fees are fan fantastic. So they're located right in front of Honda Center, but also have a website. 
uh, 714tickets.com, where you earn 5% back in rewards on every online purchase. So let's recap. You can get to see your favorite team play, you can pay no fees, and you can earn rewards back to free, back for future purchases. It sounds like a no-brainer to me. And uh, also, 714 Tickets, their office is right across the street from Honda Center, so if for whatever reason you want to pick up a hard ticket or anything like that, really easy to go and grab stuff. So you can shop your Ducks tickets at 714tickets.com or stop by their office for more personal field check them out and use the promo code ctp to get 10 percent off your purchase Alrighty, so go check them out guys moving forward here um anything else on tonight or just kind of the the state of the franchise or anything else that's that's sticking out here um i do want some... to point out actually that just uh mason mctavish looks great yeah, that that is a great sign for the future. Like all the things you want to see for the future, look look good. Like yeah, Segris, like, Terry. There is a world that we're living in where not only is this Ducks team playing better, but it's the guys like that should be leading this team are in that position to be able to help a lot. And so I think that that's an important thing. Of this isn't an all, oh crap, everything's bad. This isn't a situation no. of let's say. What would be a good season? What would it be the eighteen or the 1920 season? The the one that was cut short by by COVID, where everything was god awful, um, where they end up with the sixth overall pick, or even the COVID season where uh, they end up with the third overall pick. Like those were bad teams that legitimately had no changes made to the roster. The that had a bad system. Season? What the eighteen nineteen season? <laughs> pick take your pick eighteen nineteen nineteen twenty. 20 uh the 21 season any of those where it was the same roster over and over again where we saw that that core that they were trying to go into just did not have it they didn't have the offensive capability there was not the skill level and the talent there the one thing with this team that i think is a big positive is that they have that skill level and you they have the ability for better or worse, whichever way you want to view this, to outperform their expected goals. <laughs> uh, Trevor Zegers, I think, is one of the highest in terms of outperforming his expected goals on the season so far. And, and so they have that skill level. And you look at Troy Terry tonight, right? I think per hockey biz, he had 1.3 individual expected goals. He was so good tonight. Like, like he was he was just making everything happen. That is like let me let me go double check. Yeah, sorry. 1.44 individual expected goals <laughs> like, that is insane i don't know i don't if know saw- if i've ever seen a total that high and granted mm-hmm. that's in all situations so that factors in still, a little bit there but still, still like he's getting chances from all over the place he's turn getting turnovers like that line is clicking on a on a great level i mean they were responsible for let me kind of quick it's like 2.3 of the 3.5 expected goals in all situations uh per hockey viz like that line is so good Yeah, I mean, I think, so the play that sticks out to me for Terry in the first period tonight, he shakes a defender off on the half wall, and then he's on the right side, and he just kind of knifes his way into the slot, like cuts through two defenders, and basically gets into the inner slot, and just puts it, like literally just puts it on a tee for for John Klingberg, who just can't put it away. But it was like, he just did all of the work, and Klingberg got a, a wide open slot shot out of it, and basically put it into Bennington's glove. But yeah, I, th- I think that that's the saving grace for all of this and why even though things really suck right now from an, 
just kind of night to night entertainment perspective for Ducks fans. Like I, I still really believe that the future is bright. Like they still have this awesome prospect pool. They have great young players on the team right now. Like th- this, this is going to be fine in the long run. Like that this season was never going to be the season where the Ducks truly took that that big massive step forward it was going to be okay maybe they push to the playoffs maybe they become you know a team that can compete but this was never going to be a year where they're going to be like contenders yeah Um, i i think here's my biggest suggestion for ducks fans out there is i I think it's important to stop honestly caring a lot about the results at this point in time and i know that sucks 20 games in well yeah (laughs) that like that really sucks 20 games in but i think just essentially appreciating the team that's there appreciating these young stars and for instance even in that jets game the the play that zegers had to tie up the game that was a really really special play where he's able to get the puck below his own goal line is able as he's getting pressured um physically by a jets defender is able to get the puck around them break out of the zone on his own pass it to adam and and then follow up, and Henrique's able to dish it to him, and he's able to bury it with a brilliant shot. Like, those... I cannot remember a player that was capable of doing that in a Ducks jersey. Yeah. And I've been watching almost every game of this team since the 06-07 season. Like, yeah, that, lev- yeah. that level of skill, and to be able to break down teams in that way with that amount of entertaining play... I cannot recall the Ducks having players like that. And that's no. not to say that that Getzloff and Perry and those guys weren't good, but it was just a very different style. And I think from an aesthetic perspective, the current the the Zegers playstyle aesthetically is just way more entertaining on the whole. And once it results in more wins, I think everyone's gonna be happy on all fronts. But like this team, like I have bits and pieces of memories of Korean Solani, but I was just too young, I think, at the time where I would watch them, but don't have these these ingrained memories in my head of them. But this is probably the closest thing the Ducks have had to Korea and Solani. Yeah. Since then. It's, it, it's like you said, it's it's the way that they play, whereas, you know, Perry and Getzlaff, it was always the big bruising Ducks, and th- they did all their work, or at least Perry did all his work around the net, you know, behind the net or in the slot, in the crease. <laughs> Ask uh, the Edmonton Oilers about that. And then... Ryan Getzlaff, just so solid physically along the wall, getting passes into the slot. And really, Terry and, and Zegris are the opposite of that. They're just high skill, high volume, and it, it is so much fun to watch. And I really think that this team, with competent coaching, I think they can still be a team that's at least plucky, that's that's at least just not going to get caved in on most nights like they are right now. And maybe we're... And, and, you know, even without Jamie Drysdale, like there, there's still, I think, enough on this blue line, especially now with kind of what we're seeing out of Austin Strand and Colton White, that you can you can still piece something together here. Like, I don't think all hope is lost. It's just I just don't trust that the right decisions are going to be made to put this roster to this lineup together on a nightly basis. Yeah. Yep. Uh, sorry, let, before we get to questions, I also just want to mention, because this was brought up in our, our YouTube chat by Ray Gonzalez, that all he has left is uh, uh, to just have McTavish in the Calder conversation. So let's just give a Calder update. He's currently tied for third with nine points in the, the rookie scoring race with Beneers and Matias Maselli. Is that the guy's name on Arizona? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, with 11 points. So 
he's right there. Like, you look at how he played tonight, right? And if you just put him with better line mates, put him in good situations, he's finally getting power play time, which is going to help also. He's going to be able to, I think, run away with this Calder. And so, maybe that's too bold. So disrespectful to Max Jones and Brett Leeson. Yeah, yeah. Do you agree with that, though, that with what we've seen from McTavish with how he's playing, if he is given better line mates that can help create offense for him so he's not having to do all of it, that he's could be a runaway for the caller? I think it's still going to be tough because, like, you look at Beneers and the situation he's in. Mm-hmm. I mean, even, like, Fabian Zetterland in New Jersey, like, playing in their top line or playing in their top six, like – there's just guys who are in such better situations, but I agree that if he's in a better situation, he can at least have a shot at it. Um, so we'll, we'll see. This is where I really wish we had passing data, like, you know, expected assists Yeah, would be a really fun stat. Cause I'd be curious to know like how much offense is being left, how much production is being left on the table just because he's not playing with high, high skill guys. Um, but yeah, I, I think just watching him play, though, I think what's fun is that he's basically as advertised. Like, the only thing we really haven't gotten out of him so far is that shot, which is what everyone... I mean, remember, I think it was Bob Murray that said on draft day, like, oh, he can shoot it through a car door. You know, like, that was the mm-hmm. whole thing. And we haven't really seen him use that shot. Like, they've only really put him just, like, in the last three games or so in that right face-off circle to take one-timers in the power play. But... It's the little things in his game. Like, he's just so smart with the puck, positionally away from the puck, and he's strong with it, too. But I I think regardless of where he ends up in the point-scoring race for rookies, he's going to be a very good player for this team for a long time. Runaway might be a little too extreme for me, but, you know. He's got stiff competition. I'm trying to be positive here. Maddie Beneers is really, really good. I'm trying to be positive here, you know. Fabian Zetterland, a name that I pretty much didn't know existed before this season. Yeah. Um, all right. Anything else? No, just uh, keep the faith. Keep on keeping on and uh, we'll get through it together. Oh, we'll, we'll keep crap. You posted. There was one other thing that I meant to bring up. Oh, I know. I know where you're going. Yeah. On 32 thoughts, the podcast today. Yes. Uh, Elliot Friedman made a point to talk about the ducks. Like Jeff Merrick was trying I mean, to he like, talked about them for like 17 seconds no, but, but yeah. jeff merrick was like trying to not even have that he like was trying to get like a different point in and have a different conversation and elliot made sure to like because well, no. it was about the leafs yes but still so basically the point was was elliot friedman said he's heard that the leafs were poking around basically on frank vetrano but the issue there is they don't think they could make it work even at 50 percent retained and so first off I found interesting that Frank Vetrano's name was being bandied about by someone like Elliot Friedman, which means that even if things don't go well or the Ducks end up not liking the way he's played, there's value there. Yeah, I mean, I just really read it as like the Leafs want Frank Vetrano. Like, I don't think it says anything about how the Ducks feel about him. Yeah, agree or, or anything like that. I don't yes. think that we don't we can't say that the Ducks are like shopping Frank Vetrano. Uh, but, they're not necessarily shopping shopping him, but they're. I think the takeaway I had from listening to that is that basically Elliot Friedman expects to hear a lot more from the Ducks soon. Well, this is what he like specifically said. He said, okay. "I'm sure we're going to start hearing a lot of things out of the Ducks. I've heard they've got a lot of people out looking to see what's out there, which mm-hmm. kind of makes sense. Like we just saw Pavrubik at a game 
in Montreal against the Devils. Mm-hmm. And so I guess what's interesting about that is that we don't really know what that means. Like, does it mean that they're going to be starting to sell off? Does it mean that they're going to look to add? I mean, it really, like, we just don't know. Like, what 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 would be your guess? Yeah, I I, I have no clue. Well, you gotta come on, come up with something. Uh, what would they do? Um, like, like well, do you think do you think the Ducks are just kind of starting to set up a sell off of like Shattenkirk? Well, they can't trade um, Kling, they can't trade Klingberg because he has a full no move right now until the start of next year. Well, it's a no As, trade. Sorry, no trade. Yeah, yeah. But so he has to approve wherever he goes, whereas it becomes a modified no trade as of January, so it changes. How, how um, would you how would you feel if the Ducks traded Frank Vetrano, for example? It all depends on the return. Well, like just everything. like just just the concept, because I feel like there's people that are saying like, oh, you know, he, they just got him. What the heck? I mean, if a guy's not working with your players and it's not working with your well, I He's, would. Here's my my opinion on that. It's twofold. I would say that you need to bring in a coach to see because Frank Fatrano has multiple years on his deal. I think you need to bring in another coach that can potentially utilize him better. If he is still playing like this under them, then sure, I think you move him. Like I, I don't think it's a disaster. I don't think it's anything. It's actually, I think it's being proactive and not letting your quote unquote mistake sit too long where it completely loses value. Yeah, I, I just think that he's not this like untouchable, irreplaceable no. piece. And so, yeah, if you can get, because that's that's the thing with him is it's hard to like properly value him for me because he's got two years left on his deal. You know, what is that like? How does that factor into his value? Because I feel like just intuitively, you could probably get a couple picks for him. Yeah. But I don't know. I mean, he's how... good. He's good for about 20 goals. Well, he's never actually scored 20, but yeah. He's, uh, about. So yeah. He's, he's good for 18. He's good for 18. 18 goals. <laughs> he's, he's like, 18 goals to him is like what six goals is to Sam Steele. Damn it. Basically. You beat me to the joke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. I just, I, I'm just whatever on that that whole thing. Like, if they can trade him for futures, he's a guy they can replace. It, it, it's not this this crazy thing. But I also would be very curious to see him with a new coach. As for what the Ducks are doing out there, I feel like they're trying to make like a quote unquote hockey trade too. Like, I feel like they're they're going to try to improve or, or alter the the kind of core of this team. I think they're just. I think he's Verbeek is probably just trying to see essentially what the value is on his guys. And I think he's trying to see who also is available. Like, yeah. like is Jacob Chikrin an actual reality for this team? Maybe, maybe not. Like what? I, I think that that's realistically what it is. And I think Pavarbeek realizes that this need, this team needs a change. And by the way, Ray is asking for a Sam seal update. He currently has three goals in 18 games. Oh boy. He's, he might, he just might do it. Um, no, but I think that for him, he's got to look at this roster and think like half of the team is still, maybe even more than half the team is still not guys that he brought in. And at a certain point, like it's clearly not working. Like this whole bottom six, it's yeah. just like I think that he's probably going to try to find ways to get out of this current well, the, setup. The, the real question I have is is he going to throw Aikens a lifeline prior to making a rash decision with him? I just right like is, it, it, is like, a lifeline warranted? 
No, but my my point is is he gonna change up the the roster for him and and do that before I making mean, the I mean, I do think that if you if, if you look at the moves he tried to make this summer, that's what it was. That's what those were. Trying to get Nino Nita Ryder, and yeah. I think I'm forgetting who else they whiffed on. There was someone else. But the point is that I don't think that this version of this team was what they were mm. intending on. On Evan Rodriguez. Out. That's right, Evan Rodriguez. Um, I guess my question though would be, like, okay, Akins has totally dropped the ball with this group. Are you telling me that everything's going to change with one other guy, with Akins specifically, that he's all of a sudden going to expertly manage this group to wins? I, I just still don't see it. So, like, if I'm Pat Verbeek, I don't know. Yeah, but okay. the whole the, the the whole mission statement for this season was give Dallas Akins a, a chance. Yeah. So. All right, let's let's get into questions. We're gonna start with Discord. Then we'll. I have one DM on Twitter that I want to get to. Then we'll get to Twitch and YouTube. So kind of as we get through all those Twitch, oh, YouTube, throw update stuff from in. Lisa Dillman. What's the update? It's really a non-update, but spotted GMPV in the corridor outside the Ducks dressing room. Oh, well. Was he is he pulling uh, pulling someone into his office? Uh, who knows? Step uh, into my office. Okay. <laughs> Dejan said, will the Ducks first slash next regulation win come with Dallas Akins as the head coach? <laughs> so you're saying 19 games from now. Uh, I, w- I would still be surprised if the Ducks fired him this season. Like, I would still bet against it, but I'm I'm like two games away from changing my stance. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think they get a regulation win before he is gone, but I don't think Dallas Higgins makes it the season. It's looking unlikely. <laughs> yeah. Um, by the way, I'm kind of of the, I'm all vibes right now. Let's just, ha- I want the Ducks to go all season without a regulation win, just all three on three overtime wins. <laughs> they just, can be the greatest three on three team yeah. of all time. Just give me the vibes. Give me the entertainment. All the wins come in this crazy three on three fashion. Cause it, it's been great. It's been entertaining. Like sure. At least you get your money's worth when you go yeah, to Honda Center. Exactly. Uh, hey, Odflo said, "What is the percentage chance Akins is fired before Wednesday's night's game?" Well, we just heard that GMPV is in the corridor outside the Ducks dressing room. So could be minutes that we, that this changes. I mean, I I say ten percent. I don't think that they fire him before Thanksgiving. Yeah, I don't either. There's something just kind of heartless about that and unnecessary. Yep. yep. Uh, I say 10% though. That's, that's, that's not nothing. I mean, <laughs> it's somewhat nothing. I would have it at zero. I just okay. don't think that they fire him going into a holiday. Okay. Uh, let's see. Duck Sargonaut said this week's question, why? And then he said, in seriousness though, scouts have been all over and rumors are starting to leak out that the Ducks are, uh, are hearing or listening about Vitrano and looking around the league. Are they looking for prospects slash picks to move current roster players out, or are they looking to improve the active roster? I mean, that's kind of what we were just trying to figure out. I th- I feel like it's to make changes to this roster, like both to improve long-term and to eventually sell pieces. I just think that the selling is not going to require as much legwork. That's why I think that these current trades might be more interesting than just your yeah. usual flip. I'd agree with that. Hey, Ojiflo said, would it be helpful for Rubik to try to hire a proven winner like Barry Trotz during the offseason? Although Trotz isn't my ideal long-term pick, my thinking here is that the team desperately needs a winning culture to be instilled after years of Aikens, so a drastic immediate upgrade like Trotz could be effective right now. Yeah, I don't 
I don't think you want to chase wins. Like, I don't think you want to just manufacture. You you want to chase the right process, right? Like, I I look to the I look to what the Canadians have done with Marty St. Louis, and <laughs> okay, I'm gonna jump in real quick and say, look at what the New Jersey Devils have done with with Lindy Ruff and bringing yeah, but, in a guy, but bringing in a guy that suits the system that suits what you're trying. But to he's do been there. there though. Like they just is, started. This winning. is his second season. Yeah, like, but like, I look at St. Louis. Like immediately, even though the team was losing, like There's, there was there was just a difference. Yeah, but they it. were still losing. But you can say the same thing about the Devils. The Devils last season were playing a lot better. They okay, I thought you were just save. talking about this season. No, I'm talking about in general. That you're just they, you just want to discredit the Canadians. I'm just trying to done. trying to talk about a much better one. Uh, where it's is a it team better? I, a I team think, that's I, very I think successful. The Canadians are more like of a. I think they're a closer comp to, to no, what the, the Ducks are. I, I think the Devils are a bit of a closer comp. You think term, that the te- you think that the team that's blowing the doors off the league right I'm now? I'm not saying the Ducks are close with to a being stacked that. I'm roster. Saying, I'm saying that that's a closer comp is because a closer of the, comp. But hear me out. The main reason why is because okay. they have. You look at the play style. You look at the guys, the horses that they have, and that's similar to the horses that the Ducks have. They have puck. They have puck moving defensemen. They have high skilled fast uh forwards that are able to beat you out in transition with a guy like Jack Hughes, Jesper Bratt, and the Ducks equivalent of that is Troy Terry and Trevor Zegers. And, and so there are a lot of equivalents uh or Yeah, except that the, except the similarity. Devils have like four lines of those guys. No, I know. The, I'm the not Ducks saying, have three of those guys. You're missing guys. my my point is that they I think, brought I think the, your point is just like being a little charitable to the Ducks. M- let me finish my point though. My point is though that they brought Lindy Ruff in as compared mm-hmm. to a guy like a Barry Trotz because Lindy Ruff fit the system, fit the style, and that was the more important thing than bringing in a guy that ha- had a quote unquote winning culture. Yeah, no, I agree with that, and I think that so, that's the whole thing is don't boom. don't just chase the like two points and, so, and just and just like two one every game. Like you want you want to develop something that that works for your players. I agree with that. Yeah, so I just don't think you should try to discredit Marty St. Louis and what the Canadians have done. I'm just making the better comparison. I, I don't know if it's that much better. Marty St. Louis was brought in as an interim head coach and has become the head coach. That is a different situation than hiring someone with the distinct uh, purpose of fitting the team. I just think you look at what they've done and this, it's great. This is, this is you trying to fit the Montreal Canadiens <laughs> into a point. I just think you look at what they've done. And okay, Winterborn's Winter asking. I know it seems to be the case for the last couple of years, but I think the Ducks really need to decide what they are going to do with John Gibson. Would you keep Solars and have Dostal as the backup and try to move Gibson? I think the thing with Gibson is that he's not really aging all that well. I I would still like to see him in a better situation, like just with a better system in front of him, with a better coach. But I do think you can probably get value for him and you can probably get by with other goalies. Like, I think that's one of the bigger inefficiencies in the NHL is paying, overpaying in, in net instead of just building it out in front of them um, and then being able to kind of save costs in net. So I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of of two minds there a little bit where on one hand, I would like to see what Gibson could do behind a better system. But I also think, yeah, they could make that happen. I mean, my biggest thing is, what is Gibson's value at this point in time? I think it's still like, it's not what it was, but I think it's still there. He's do you still... have? Do you do you get anything in return, or do you have to retain? I think to me that's the biggest yeah. question here. Because if you have to retain, then I think you just ride it out with Gibson. 
Yeah, I, I think there's no harm in doing that. Like, I don't yeah. think he's he's not the reason of where they're they're at, and to get anything for him, he's got to play well. Yeah. So okay, so we got this question from uh, even Wilderwing, whose Twitter name is an, an abundance of Kasha. Uh, said question for the pod. Elliot Friedman's qu- uh, comments uh, regarding people out looking. Should the expectation be that guys like Vetrano, Strom, Klingberg, etc., begin to be traded for future assets and the season is considered lost, or is the organization trying to save what's left of it? So we've kind of gone over this uh, a little bit, but it, I think it's going to be more so trying to, I think you're spot on, trying to rebuild the team in some ways. Yeah, I think it's just a continued restructure of this team. Yeah. Because really, I think what's killing this team outside of the coach, although you could argue the coach fits into this, is is just all these leftovers of the Murray era that just don't do anything for the team. Like, you know, I don't think Isaac Lindstrom is really moving the needle right now. I don't think Jakob Silverberg, Max Jones, Derek Grant, when he's healthy, like these, these guys, Kevin Shattenkirk, like these guys are just leftovers from a bygone era. And again, maybe they would look better with a better coach, but I think that's part of the problem. Yep. So that's it for Twitch and discord. So we're going to be coming to, or sorry, uh, Twitter and Discord. So we're going to be coming to the Twitch chat and the YouTube chat. So for those of you listening to the audio form, you can find this stream each and every Monday. We're kind of fluctuating between 7 p.m. and 8 p.m. So keep an eye on our Twitter feed for when we're going to go live. But you can find us at twitch.tv slash crashpond or you can find us at youtube.com. On YouTube, please subscribe to our channel. Please like and hit that notification bell on all the videos. Uh, We're trying to get over a 1,000 subs because then we can do a little bit more on YouTube. So if you're listening to this, whether on your favorite podcast medium, whether you're on Twitch, go to YouTube, subscribe to the channel, do that for us. Or if you're on twitch.tv, if you have Amazon Prime, you get one free Twitch Prime gaming sub each and every month. You can help support us in that way. You get special emotes in the chat, special badges next to your name. And so I want to give out a couple big shout-outs from Twitch right now where HeyoDFlow resubbed for us uh, for 22 months. And he also gave out a gifted sub. And then Winterborn was really, really kind and gave out 10 gifted subs. So thank wow. you so much. Thanks, Disney guys. Circuits uh, subscribed for the first time with Amazon Prime. And here's Johnny71 also subscribed. Uh, and he said, along with that, I think Pat Forbeek gives uh, Dallas Akins the boot before Christmas. So thank you all so much for supporting the show. It really does mean a lot to us. So Pushhead2 nice, two, push from Twitch said, what's the single best move roster-wise that can improve this team? So this means we can't pick the coach. Jamie Correct. The coach. Um, Do you think it's Jacob Chicken? Do you no, think he improves this team? I, well, I just don't think he's going to be worth what he costs. Okay. Um, well, do you think the cost has come down? Because that, that's been the conversation around him, is that the cost has come down significantly on him. I do think they need to solidify the back end and even, like, I don't think all of the guys in the farm system and in juniors are going to turn into stars, right? Like, that's Mm -hmm. just not how it works. So you need to hedge on that a little bit. Maybe Jacob Chikrin is that. Um, I don't really know who else is out there, like, in terms of, like, a younger... I think what they really need, to be honest, is just another forward. Like, they need another playmaking forward. So So would you say it's just bringing up Jacob Perot? Bringing up... Actually, no, here it is. Signing Rocco Grimaldi. No, like, I think we're, we're past the point of, like, let's just try to squeeze out a few more Fair points enough. by signing a AHL guy. I think, yeah, call up a Jacob Perot, call up a Braden Tracy. Like, let's see what these guys have to offer. Um, but really what they need, like, the single thing that could help them the most, I think, right now, is just another 
playmaking, high-skilled forward because there's so much pressure on Zegers and Terry to carry the mail offensively. And we see it, like, after those guys, like, there just isn't that. Like, Strom and Toronto are complementary pieces, and they are not capable. They have not shown so far this season that they're capable of driving a line together. Yep. Or on their own, I should say. Um, Acoustic Walrus on Twitch asks us, who is the first prospect from the goals that the Ducks bring up? Does anyone, uh, I don't know what that means with anyone stay. So, Acoustic, if you want to Does anyone, like, stay with the team, like, for the oh, rest of the season? Oh, got it, got it, got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that the first person that's going to come up is probably going to be Drew and get games would probably be Drew Hellison would be my, um, well, the, he was the thing. first one to be called up. So we, we actually have our, yeah. our answer. Um, I don't know if they ever actually intended for him to play, but I think that he showed well in, in training camp and he's mm-hmm. looked really good in the AHL. So I would not be surprised if it's him. I also just don't think that they're going to be so, uh, so tied to Colton White or Austin Strand, where they can't just call up a guy and, and see what he's got to give them on the back end. Yep. Uh, I yeah, I would probably go uh, if we're talking next one. Maybe a Jacob Perot. Maybe that's something to look at. I mean, at some point, like he's a first round pick. And Same thing with Braden Tracy. Yeah, like at at a certain point, like you gotta see what you have in these guys. Like I, like we kind of know what Max Jones is at this point. I think. Um, we know what Isaac Lindstrom is. We we know what they have in the bottom six. Like I think it's time to see what else you can get. Yeah. Um, Johnny on YouTube said, "What coach would you guys want to see the Ducks bring in?" I think you and I both have the same answer on this. Yeah, I think it's of the of the names that I'm like familiar with right now. It's Andrew Brunette. You look at what he did in Florida. You look at how the Devils are playing, and he just seems to be a guy who when he's got a roster that that has offensive talent is able to get them playing in a way that's very exciting and and effective. And another thing to point out is that he's got, um, he's really good at getting the D's involved too. Like if you look at how Brandon Montour really took off in Florida, I think a big part of that was the kind of system that they were playing. So yeah, I would say get Andrew Burnett over to Anaheim. Yeah. Uh, Pushhead two said, "How much does this team miss Ryan Getzloff?" I mean, they miss him. Of course, they miss him. Yeah, know, like I, I think, but you're... but that's not that's not why. Like, that's not that's not going to change anything. Like I, like I, I had freaking violent gentlemen reply to me tonight saying that the Ducks miss Josh Manson. It's like, yeah, the Ducks miss any good player at this point because of how badly they're playing. But these guys aren't the difference right now. Like the problems run run deeper than one or two guys. Yeah. And I think we're seeing that with you look at these numbers and look at all these things and look at what's happened. And so by the way, the ducks missed the playoffs three years in a row with those guys in the team. And, and I think (laughs) sure they're missing gets off having a good top end guy as your second line center would help this team out significantly. That that's what they've been missing. And, And so having him would help out significantly, but, um, at the end of the day, they need to find someone to fill that role. Like that is where they're at. And it's better that they don't have Getzloff uh, in that kind of making it look like it's okay. And instead they're having to actually find a solution to it. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Uh, Raquel's goatee said, would you want to see uh, the ducks get trade for Kapanen? Raquel's goatee is still one of the funnier screen names that are out there. The Aston Reese one is also great. Um, no, wait, what the, was Kapanen? No. Yeah. Okay. No. Yeah. Um, 
Wait, uh, Late Arrivals Pod is in our Twitch chat and said, Butt Punchy Man Punch Well. I mean, I'm not a big advocate for fighting, but there was some <laughs> satisfaction in seeing Josh Manson uh, buckle <laughs> Jamie Ben tonight. Yeah, there that you was go. Fun. Yeah. Uh, oh, speaking of fighting, Ray Gonzalez asks, MJF is the new AEW champ. Who do you want to see him in a program with? I actually heard this uh, from someone, and I think it would be great. I think his first program with Ed would be should be with Eddie Kingston. These are two guys that have really broken onto the scene with AEW, gotten their first actual big chance with them, and Eddie Kingston will be able to see through all the bullshit. It's gonna be amazing. See, I see. I'm a great. I'm a graceful, uh, gracious co-host where I let you talk about wrestling. I'm at, I'm answering the question. I don't bring it up outside of the question. You do. That is 100% bullshit. It, I have not brought it up in a that while outside of questions. That is 100% flagrant bullshit. Uh, also talking about AEW, Heyo Deflo said, why did Chris Jericho win the ROH yeah, four-way championship match questions. at full gear? It's because Chris Jericho is a legend in the business, and him having the ROH title is going to help sell uh, Final Battle a lot. Oh, there by the go. way, uh, Lisa Dillman now walking back the, the GMPV tweet. Oh. She might have gotten slapped on the wrist saying, guess I should add three extra thoughts. GMs do attend road games, was told he was going to be at this game, thought he was going to also be at Saturday's game, but wasn't there. Hey, guess what? None of those things rule out a, a firing. <laughs> I don't think it's a firing. I no, think it's I him think so just either. trying to talk to the team. Uh, let's see. Uh, Johnny said, trade Gibson, call up Dostal. Uh, we talked about it. I think trading Gibson would be really tough right now. Yeah, I, I don't I don't see it happening at this point in time. Yep. Uh, all right. Uh, any other questions out there? If you do, throw them in there real quick. Uh, World Cup started. What are I was your about thoughts to bring on the first that up. day? Yeah, the USA uh, botched their must-win game. Unsurprising. Very unsurprising uh, because that is a team that doesn't have the heart that's necessary to win on the biggest stage. Or, God, Felix, when he gets in his troll mode, legitimately, like, <laughs> triggers me. <laughs> legitimately triggers me. Because it's, like, it's just so poking and prodding. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, <sighs> no, the U.S. are still in good shape. I think I heard something that it's, like, four, it's like 80% of teams that win the first game move out of the group, whereas it's still, like, 45 to 50% of teams that uh, draw the first game move out of the group. Like So now it's a coin flip. That's yeah, pretty bad. I mean, if they end up getting a point out of England, like, they're in good shape. And will they? Like, they now now they have to actually perform against a team oh, that's better than them. Bonnie asked a question about the team meeting. I did not see that. Bonnie, just repost it. I'll, I'll, we'll get to it. Uh, let's the Ducks see. had a team meeting after the last game. Oh, got it. Um, Ray Gonzalez said, what side pod does Felix want to talk about? Side pod? Like I don't know. Side podcast? I guess. I've because I was talking about AEW? The P the PDO cast's been really good. There you go. The uh, the um game over right. Montreal really good. All right. Lewis X two oh nine said best Thanksgiving dish and why is it turkey? Oh that's right. Thanksgiving this is this week. Yeah. Um, Happy almost Thanksgiving, everyone. Yeah. Uh I would say Oh, it's stuffing. Best Thanksgiving dish. It's definitely stuffing. No question. No. No. It's not stuffing. Stuffing is one of the worst Thanksgiving wow. dishes. That is like, you can disagree with me on it being the best. Like, sure. Like I think Turkey has a, has a claim to that, but saying it's the worst might be, might actually be the worst take you've ever had. And 
Lord knows there's a sea of bad <laughs> to choose from. Uh, best best Thanksgiving dish. I'm gonna go with mashed potatoes. What? Why why on earth? Why on God's green earth would you pick something that you can literally have whenever, wherever the rest of the year? Because like there, there is nothing. There's nothing about mashed potatoes that, that that's unique to, to Thanksgiving. Because Monica only makes her her mashed potatoes during Thanksgiving, and they are some of the best mashed well, that potatoes. Well, like that sounds like a deeper issue then. Um, Why is the, it a deeper the, issue? They're because great. The, pro- the problem is not that it's not about the mashed potatoes. It's just about the fact that she she refuses to make them. The rest, <laughs> she the, doesn't the refuse to make them. They're a pain to make, but they're delicious, so she makes mashed them for Thanksgiving. Mashed potatoes is like the easiest thing to make. You, you get your masher, you boil the potatoes, and you mash. <laughs> That's not Sorry, just... also ignore the hand gesture I just made. <laughs> um, yeah, I was making a, a mashing <laughs> gesture. Um, yeah. <laughs> the wow. point is the point wow. is that stuffing is, is by Tur- far... Turkey, turkey is also great. Underrated thanksgiving dish that is not at a lot of people thanksgiving but great a really good mac and cheese yeah i think that's a better take than mashed potatoes like mashed potatoes are just so vanilla (laughs) like whatever you can have them whenever you you can buy them like in a bag you can buy them like pre-made like it's just there's just no excuse for that pick (laughs) everyone's uh in the twitch chat is uh saying needs to be clipped what's going on in that kitchen (laughs) <laughs> has has no one ever like mashed potatoes? Am I the only one here that's ever? I don't know rolled, if anyone's mashed up, it the way that you just. Uh, am I the only did? one who's ever put on his blue collar and rolled up his sleeves and actually mashed the potatoes, put on the hard hat and, and gone to work with a lunch Ugh. pail? Yeah. Oh, baked mac and cheese. Yeah, with bread coming toppings. I might make that, mac and cheese. You know that's what? A good, that's I might a good make pack. mac and cheese for Thursday. Mac and cheese is okay, so. Bonnie is saying mac and cheese is not vanilla. It's less vanilla. This is all on a, on a gradient. This is all on a, on a scale, and it's it's less vanilla. Uh, <laughs> You're yeah. getting skewered by the Twitch chat. Why am I getting skewered? I feel like my stuffing take is, is like... Oh, it's not the stuffing take. I don't know. I don't know what it could be. <laughs> okay, who knows? Uh, any other questions? I know, okay, we got this one from Curtis. Uh... Assuming Quenville fulfills all of his responsibilities in the league and the team deem him able to return coaching, would you have him as the new boss? No. Nah. No. Hard pass. Hard pass. He Hard should pass. not be allowed to they, coach in this they have, again. They have uh, museums where you could put fossils in. You yep. don't need to put them behind the bench. Yep. Keep them out of the league. Um, um, and then Bonnie had one, yeah, about the team meetings. I Those are normal. Um, they happen. When this happen, when teams get in losing streaks, like that, that's not well, abnormal. Especially, especially the game the first St. Louis game where they just, you know, they came out so awfully. Like, yeah. That, that's the kind of thing where teams will, will get upset about. Yeah. So. Um, what's your least favorite Thanksgiving dish? Cause mine's, I, I'll take mine back. Mine's not stuffing. I have a different one. Hmm. Okay. Mine's cranberry sauce. I was about to say that. Wow, look at us uniting over our hatred for cranberry sauce. Yeah, stuffing's close, but it's not as bad as that. Also, I'm not a big green bean casserole person. I don't think I I've ever Monica's even had not that. watching this. Monica makes it every year, and I don't like it that much. Wow, don't let her hear this. I know. Not that she listens to our podcast. Yeah, uh, she's she's popped it up every once in a while when we're we're doing this live. Um, I would say that uh, yeah, cranberry sauce is the worst. I've never actually tried it, but 
no reason, no need to try. Agreed. Michael B's asking, is that really a dish? I mean, it's a good point, but with the Jello-y one, it's kind of a dish. Yeah, yeah. I just think that we need to put more respect on Turkey's name. Turkey's good. It's been it's been besmirched and slandered and libeled I mean, and. Is it Tur- turkey is like one of the best like lunch meats? It's a great day. Like everything about turkey is great. Mm, I wouldn't go so far as to say everything about it's great, but it's 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 been too it's it's been too dragged through the mud now. White meat or dark meat? I think I'm gonna say white. Wow. If uh, if cooked like properly, which is always a big if. I'm gonna go dark meat, but I like a good white meat also. <laughs> that yeah. came out way different than I was expecting. <laughs> um, okay, uh, Ray Gonzalez says there's one with marshmallows on it. Yeah, that's uh, the um, yams, candied yams with marshmallows. Okay. Uh, Winterborn is saying he's getting a heritage turkey, and now I'm curious what a heritage turkey is. Okay. Uh, I because I know there's like heritage breed like pork. Okay, let's let's end with an actual hockey question that comes from our is good friends. From, late, like, is it from Plymouth, Massachusetts? Is that what it is? Plymouth uh, Rock. Late Arrivals Pod. Go check them out, by the way. Late Arrivals. Yeah. Really fun addition. We, we appeared on their stream. We did. We did. Good times. Go check them out. Lou's on there. Uh, other Jake's on there. Chris, Connor, all these other good guys. Other Jake? That's a bit patronizing. Is it? I mean, I'm... Okay. Uh, Robles. How about that? You I'm referred say, to as Rudolph you can in just say, chat. You can just say main, main Jake. Real Jake. <laughs> uh, am I Jake 1.0 or 2.0 in this, in this Cent- simulation? Central, main Jake, Central Jake. Uh, so he said, what team becomes the go-to Verbeek trade partner? Murray had Toronto and Pittsburgh, but wondering who we think uh, becomes a consistent trade partner. Just By the Detroit. way, it's uh, Jake. Uh, I think he's saying that I'm 1.0 because I'm older than him. Oh, okay. That's fair. We'll go with that. That's uh, it's not going to be Detroit. They're too much in the same spot. No, I know. I, I don't think that, like, my guess is that Pavrovic will. Yeah, well, he'll just be less like Murray in that he's just so utterly predictable. It's That's weird it. that Murray did so many things with Toronto when it was Kyle. I guess it was Lou more so that he dealt with probably not Kyle Dubas. Yeah. So that could be why. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, so we'll end with that. I, I'll go with Tampa Bay. That's fair. Or let's just go completely random and just say Seattle. <laughs> that is very random. Yeah, I don't know what they would even get from Seattle. Don't know, but you know, just Shane throwing Wright. stuff out there. Yeah. All right, let's wrap in, this thing in up. Coachella. Coachella Valley Thunderbirds. Should we go out to Coachella to see Shane Wright? Uh, you can. Oh I'm yeah, not, you're not. You're not. I'm not driving anymore. down to Southern California for that. Um, will he even play? Are they just going to scratch him in the AHL? Wow. Okay. All right, everyone. Well, thanks for listening. If you made it this far, uh, salute to you. Yeah, we were we were well over, I think, 50-some-odd viewers from, between everything. So thank you so much tonight, everyone. Yeah. We have a bot in our chat saying we can buy viewers and followers. Should we do that? <laughs> <laughs> I just timed them out. Yeah. Okay. Uh, thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, if you want to help keep this thing going, help us. Uh, grow support the show there's a few really easy ways for you to do that number one way is to check out our patreon pod or patreon go to patreon.com slash craft the pond and for one dollar a month uh, you get access to our patrons only discord and with uh, the tenuous nature of twitter these days yeah 
you might want to get in on this. It's just for one dollar. It, it's cheaper than being verified on Twitter. Yeah. Um, and and no one will laugh at you, which is a, seems to be a pretty good combo. Um, so for one dollar a month, you get access to our Discord, where you get to connect with other diehard Ducks fans, and you also get to talk about really anything. I mean, we have we have a channel for seemingly every topic. My we- personal favorite is our food discussions we added a new just pure positive vibes channel oh yeah yeah we have a i think it is it the orange tinted glasses orange colored glasses shout out to bonnie for the idea so if you if you purely like that's the thing like if you're someone who listens to our show and is like i appreciate the critical view but i don't want this all the time that doesn't mean that's what you're getting by joining our discord you can literally go to a channel that's purely good vibe purely positive vibes um so you've got it all we've got you covered there it's for one dollar a month for $5 a month, you get access to two bonus episodes. We actually recorded one Saturday night where we were really unfiltered about the state of this team. You know, had some beverages that maybe maybe helped that. Who knows? Uh, but that's all at patreon.com slash crash the pond. Go check that out. Um, now, another easy way to support us, just search for Crash the Pond on Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating and review. It just takes a couple minutes at most. But it does go a very long way. It helps us keep climbing those charts. Um, and you can also check us out on Spotify. We're also on YouTube. We stream live on Twitch and YouTube every Monday night, um, either at 7 p.m. or 8 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Uh, check out our website, CrashThePond.com. Check out the Sporting Tribune. Uh, we're partnered with them now. We're, you know the, the podcast can be found there. We've got articles going up there. Uh, so check out the Sporting Tribune. You can find all of this. You can you can really stay tuned by just following us on Twitter. Uh, Jake is on Twitter at ReindeerGames91, and I'm on Twitter at Felix underscore Sicard. That is going to do it for us tonight, guys. Uh, if you are traveling for Thanksgiving, safe travels. If you are not traveling or whatever you end up doing, hope you have a great week. Hopefully you spend some great time with family members, maybe debating over what's the best dish. Who knows? Um, hope you have a great one, guys, and we will talk to you next week. Have a good one. Bye.